all we need. That is true. Just working that reality into our hearts and our lives is the, is the, is the daily uh, challenge. Page 515, if you want to use a Bible from the pew, you could use that. Otherwise, turn to Psalm uh, 119. This morning, we're going to begin reading at verse 145 and then read down through 152. Before we read, I just want to maybe take a point of personal privilege. Uh, I, I, I should have done this even last week, but uh, a week before last, one of our church members, Roy Stroop, had his 97th birthday and uh, he's, he's, a, he's currently a shut-in, but, uh, and, and so I know some of you don't know Roy, but uh, uh, he's a dear man who looks a lot like Jesus. And uh, our lives have been touched by Roy, and Marion died about a year or so ago, and so we... But, um, and then this morning is Jack Vance's birthday. He is 89, 89 today, and so Jack's not here with us this morning, normally is... Uh, Jack is, the way I got it configured, uh, the, oh, 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 the longest continuous member of our church. Did I, did I frame that right? Jack was baptized in First Baptist Church of St. Peter's, uh, even before it was officially constituted as a church, in uh, the second week of June 1961. So that was like two weeks later I was born. So, <laughs> um, so anyway... These two men and so many others are just precious uh, saints to us, and we thank God for them. We thank God that we still have them here with us. Psalm 119, verse 145. Here's God's word for us this morning, and here's what God says. With my whole heart, I cry. Answer me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night, that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word, for there is no word quite like your word. Every word of yours is true. And we're thankful that we could read these words of yours this morning. And now our prayer is that as we continue our worship, that you would be worshipped in how we hear and receive and mull over your words. Father, by your Spirit, take these moments together and work within us, change us, cause us to be shaped further into the image and likeness of your Son. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 119 
uh, underscores for us the functional and the practical value of God's Word in the life of a follower of Christ. That's what each and every unit and does. about this call for help. Psalm 119, verses 145 to 152. The first four verses in these eight verses tell us something about how prayer is an urgent longing that is shaped by the promises of God. And then second, in the second... Longing that seeks the presence of the Lord, the presence of God. Let's look at these one at a time. First of all, the first four verses, 145 to 148, prayer is an urgent longing shaped by the promises of God. The emphasis here is how the psalmist crying out to the Lord is shaped, informed by what God has said in His Word, the very promises of God. Look at verse... Well, look, look at each, each, each of the first four verses. I just want to allude to a segment of them. 145, or in 147, I rise before dawn and cry for help. Or in 148, um, my, my eyes are awake before the watches of the night. Do you see how each of these verses describe that we are, we are explicitly talking about prayer? A very urgent, a, a very emphatic um, a crying out to the Lord. Prayer is, is much more than asking God for help. And yet prayer is, is never less than asking God for help. Do, do you see what a wonderful reality this is? We get an opportunity each and every day of our lives to demonstrate something of the fact 
that we are not self-made people. And, and I don't know how to explain all of this. You and I, on, on one level of life, we ought to be something of self-reliant people. In other words, we, we shouldn't, like, bomb off of others, in other words. And, 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 and yet, on the other hand, um, what I don't mean by the value of being self-reliant is that we are independent from God. We are not. We, we are to be self-reliant people who are ever dependent upon God. And we get to demonstrate that by how we work throughout our day, but also how we call upon the Lord throughout our day. We get to demonstrate, I, 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 will, I will not expect someone else to provide for me what I am to do myself as God's Word gives direction for me. And yet, and yet, as I go about my day doing what I am to do before God, I will do that in, in, in an ever sense of utter dependence upon God. And I believe in my heart and in my voice, I will, I will constantly recognize that, 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 that I, I am ever in need of God. I, I, we cry out to Him. We, we need answers from Him. We, we call upon Him. You, God, save us. We, we rise before dawn and we ask, Lord, help me. The, these are not notes of, of human weakness. These are, these are notes of human reality. The fact of the matter is, this universe is designed, and our placement in this universe is designed so that we would ever live dependently upon the God who made us. That we would obey Him, and and we certainly see notes of that, and we'll come to that before this section is out. God doesn't obey for us. We are to obey God, and yet even our obedience to God when the dust all settles is done in the very enablement and strength and resources that God provides. The psalmist is capturing a a wonderful sense of reality that, that would land upon our hearts and lives this morning. That we are to be a people who seek God. And yet I would suggest to you that for the notion of seeking God, there, there's, there's maybe two assumptions that must undergird that, two, two things that we must come to grips with. First is we must come to grips with an admission of need. We are not a people who, uh, in the next newsletter that's coming out, I, I wrote a column about what I'm calling uh, how our how cultural catechisms, how our culture is catechizing or teaching us. It's the phrases that our culture uses that, that we just, before you know it, we're just like little minor, minor parrots. What are those other birds called? Minor birds, yeah, parrots. Uh, we just kind of parrot out what our culture says. And, and, and you know, one of the things our culture says, you got this. You got this. And again, I, there's a ring of truth in that. We we're, we're, are to be responsible people and, and, and not irresponsible people. But there's a sense in which it's not true you got this. Life was not designed. God did not design this universe so that you could strut around independently of God and say, 
God, go on. I got this. This universe was made by God, and our placement in this universe was made by God so, so that we would come to the realization, Lord, I don't have this. I, I, I don't have anything apart from you. Apart from you, I can do nothing. Uh, again, that's not us being lame and, and pathetic. It's just us having a, a gracious sense of reality. We get it. We get it. So, so seeking God is predicated upon the assumption of we, have, we, are, we are a needy people. There's an admission of need. But, but seeking God is also predicated upon this beautiful reality that God can and will help. He can. He's got the ability. But he will. He's inclined to do so. It's it's never a scenario where we say, Lord, Lord, help me. Lord, save me. Lord, I I cry out to you with my whole heart. And the Lord says, get away, kid. You're bugging me. Here you are again, pestering me. No, it's God who has come up with this notion. He has given us in his word these instructions. Hey, your day of trouble, call upon me. Uh, when you're being persecuted, when, when struggles and affliction are coming your way, I've wrote it out for you. This is what you can say. There's nothing left for guesswork here. With your whole heart, cry out to me. Not because I'm going to shut you down, but because I'm going to use the very means by which I've instructed you to cry out to me to answer you. Do you see the inherent goodness and the inherent strength that's in our God? Whatever your trouble is, God says, bring it. I, can, I, I got this, God says. Yeah. So he says, call upon me. Uh, cry out to me. Look to me. And yet, there's something about this that, on the one hand, that, that sounds lovely, doesn't it? It sounds, sounds Almost a kind of a, a romance to it. You know. Hey, if I ever decide I need God, it's good to know He's there. That's not the tone of this passage. It is true in that sense. If you ever, just, if you ever, just, if you ever wise up and get in touch with reality and realize you need God, yes, call upon Him at that moment. But, but that's not the casualness or the superficiality uh, uh, that, that is going on here. He is earnest and He is urgent. It, it captures in verse 40, 147 and 148, I rise before dawn and cry for help. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. This, this, this seeking God out of a... Uh, out of, out of, out of a, an awareness of our condition and out of a conviction that he is eager to help and able to help is, 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 is not something that we, that we just, well, when I want to, I'll get around to it. it this is an offer that stands, but, it's an, but to the extent that we get this offer that stands, it, it reconfigures how we seek the Lord. There is an earnestness in the psalmist seeking the Lord. There is an urgency 
to the psalmist seeking the Lord. So he cries out to the Lord. He calls for help. And yet the other thing I want to note here that's run through each of these four verses thus far is is the interplay, the interrelationship between the psalmist praying to the Lord, crying out to help, and the psalmist's relationship to the Word. In a sense, both entail a seeking of God. When we talk to God, we are seeking God. When we turn to God's Word to listen to Him through His Word, we are seeking God. These are, these are just two sides of, a, of, a, of, a, of the same coin, if you would. As sure as we have a, a, a recognition that we need God to help us, we do that by, by framing our words of asking God to help, but we also do that by framing our heart around the ingestion of God's Word. God helps us as we pray to Him, and God helps us as we open the book and read it. For one thing, um, the psalmist's prayer, I would suggest to you, is rooted in the Word. How come him even think of the notion to cry out to the Lord with his whole heart? How come the psalmist even come up with the idea, I know what, I'll, I'll call on the Lord to save me. How is it the psalmist would know uh, uh, to uh, 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 rise before dawn and cry for help? The, the, the scriptures have given him the indication that if he was to do those things, guess what? God would be found. So, so the, the very language and the very trajectory of his prayer is rooted in what the Word has prior told him. The, the Word is shaping his prayer. And you see that. He says in verse 147, I hope in your words, or in 148, that I may meditate upon your promise. And it was, as I've thus far uh, meditated upon your promises, these promises have, have, dwelt, has, have risen in my heart and given me a, a fresh hope in light of my current predicament. Circumstantially, externally, there is trouble. But I got hope in my heart. Why do you got hope in your heart? Are you delusional? Are you just like wishing, hoping? Uh, are you detached from reality? Now, this is not the kind of hope we're talking about here. Just a wishful thinking. This is a hope that rooted upon what God has said in his word prior. This is like we can count on this. We can bank on this. As we meditate upon these promises, the psalmist has learned to call upon the Lord from the promises of the word of the Lord. His hope, his trust, his confidence is shaped by the word. And that shaping of the word now gives rise to him uh, calling upon the Lord. That's, that's, look, I don't want no troubles. I don't, I don't want to live a life of trouble. You have to give me the option this week. Joe, do you want a trouble-free week or do you want a troubled week? I, I can tell you which way I'm leaning on that one. And, and yet, and yet uh, uh, the fact of the matter is that troubles can have a meaningful, clarifying moment in our lives. Troubles clarify. 
They clarify our need for the Lord. They clarify our need to turn to the Lord. Because I guarantee you this week, when the bottom drops out and the troubles come, and, and I'm telling you that's true for you this week because it's just my own story from this past week, if you would. But, but you're going to turn somewhere. And what the troubles do is they become an occasion for us to discover that we can turn to the Lord. And so, the, so on the one hand, the, his prayer is rooted in the Word. And on the other hand, his prayer is, 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 is entangled in a response to the Word. Where he says in 145, I will keep your statutes. Or in, in 146, that I may observe your testimonies. I, I don't think... The relationship here, the correlation here, is that the psalmist is somehow trying to strike a deal with the Lord. Lord, if if you will get me out of this trouble, then I'll start paying attention to your word. Uh, no, the basis of the psalmist's uh, appeal to the Lord is not the psalmist trying to clean himself up. And I think we'll see that when we get um, to 149, where he, he appeals to his prayer. He appeals to the steadfast love of the Lord but I think here's the correlation. This is, where, this is where things can get clarified even further. Is the only time you and I have an interest in the Lord is when troubles come? That's, that's a temptation, isn't it? I would suggest what the psalmist is saying is that he has sought the Lord now when the troubles have come, but he, has, he had sought the Lord previously in obedience to the Lord. Authenticity is a big word in, in, our, in the current generation, in our current culture today. And everybody says, man, you ought to be authentic. And that, that's true. And it depends on who gets to define authenticity. But, but, but look at it this way. I, the psalmist is being authentic in the true sense. The same heart that is seeking help from the Lord is also the same heart that has been seeking the Lord in obedience to the Lord. That's authenticity. That's you and I being the real deal. On a good day, may we seek the Lord and obey Him. On a troubled day, may we seek the Lord and ask Him to help us. You see, the, the, the promises of God's Word is shaping how He is praying here. Second, Quick, more quickly perhaps, but prayer is, in verses 149 to 152, an urgent longing that seeks the presence of the Lord. And let me just start by reading, let me skip over 149 for a second, go to 150, 151, and read those uh, as a bundle there, because I think we get to the quick and skinny of how, what, what is it exactly that the psalmist wants? Now, on the one hand, he wants deliverance from his trouble, but but. That's, that's, not the, that's not the real thrust of it. 150, 151. He says, They, speaking of the people who want to hurt him, they uh, draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. Notice the play on near and far here. The evil people who want to hurt me are drawing near to me. And they are far from your word. And then what he says in 151, here's what he wants. But you are near, O Lord. And all your commandments are true. Lord, my enemies are near me. 
But Lord, for my heart to be able to say, as we've just sung about a while ago, it is well with my soul. Lord, for my heart to be able to say that, it's, it's not conditioned on the proximity of my enemies. It's conditioned upon the proximity of your presence in my life. Oh, look, if, if I was to strike a deal with you this morning, I'd say, look, look, and of course this would be a deal straight from the devil. Uh, so I'd advise you not to take this deal. Um, but if I was to say, look, I guarantee you that, that you can be released from all of your external troubles this week. Just sign here on the dotted line. You won't have a bit of trouble this week. And that in fact, if you sign before noon, I'll throw in the week after as well. So two weeks of no trouble. But if you look at the fine print of the contract... What you won't have over the next two weeks. While you won't have the presence of trouble, you won't have the nearness of of the Lord. Would you sign up for it? Can I can I see a with every eye uh, closed and every head bowed? Can I? Don't take that offer. And that's not what the psalmist is asking for. Lord, get, get the bad people away from me. They're near me, but... Uh, no, he says, Lord, they are near me, but you are near me. Now, if this is Daniel, I keep pushing that it is. I think Daniel saw this, lived out. Remember, remember his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Remember, they were thrown into the fiery furnace. They said, our God is able to deliver us, and yet if he's not able to deliver us, we still are not going to bow. And what does Daniel see? But there's not three of them in the furnace. There's a fourth man who's like the Son of God. Daniel saw that. You, you could throw my friends in the furnace. That's, that's trouble, by the way, if you didn't know how to connect the dots here. That's trouble. But in the middle of that trouble, there is the presence and the nearness of the Lord. And they could sing, it is well with my soul. The enemies are closing in on him, but it is God's closeness that he is seeking that he is desiring. He longs to be near the Lord. And he longs to be near the Lord, not just so that the Lord would be near to him, but the other side of that coin is that he would be near to the Lord in that, as he's already established in these verses, uh, that, that, he, that he would obey the Lord out of the sense of nearness to the Lord. And then, and then 149 and 152 give us a couple of reasons why. why. Why is the nearness of the Lord such a big deal to him? Well, in 149, it's because it's the nearness of the Lord that manifests the steadfast love of the Lord. He says, uh, hear my voice according to your steadfast love, O Lord, according to your justice, or probably the better word there would be judgment or decision. According to your judgment, give me life. Now, he's banking upon God's covenant promises. The steadfast love of the Lord is God's covenant, faithfulness, devotion, and loyalty to Him. Lord, Lord, I know I can call upon you to be near to me in the midst of my enemies being near to me because you are stocked full of steadfast love. 
It's the second reason he gives then in, in 152, um, where he says, Long uh, have I known your testimonies um, that you have founded them forever. So he wants the nearness of the Lord because in the nearness of the Lord he has the steadfast love of the Lord. But he wants the nearness of the Lord because he knows that the only thing that is really powerfully eternal is God's word. (laughs) What's the expiration date on God's word? It is unexpirable. It is eternal. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in the heavens. He's not going for some cheap, temporary substitute. Oh, that's where you and I need so much wisdom. The the solutions that we seek, the remedies that we embark upon, uh, we will will settle for uh, cheap facsimiles, facsimiles. Fakes, knockoffs, uh, that, that, that will not permanently, eternally bring our hearts what our hearts need. We, we, see, we see persecution, we see trouble, we see affliction, we see struggles pressing in on us. And those struggles at the moment, what do they feel like? They, how long do they feel like? They have already lasted, and how long do they feel like they will continue to last? Well, they feel like forever, don't they? But only God's Word is forever. Your troubles, my troubles, your affliction, my affliction, our struggles are not forever. Even though, I guarantee you this week, when they land, they will say, we're going to be here a while. You got anything to eat? Some of my ineptitude and slowness in in life is proven in multiple ways, but one of which is um, I'm just now figuring out some of what my dad experienced in December of 1944. My dad was in the Battle of the Bulge, which arguably was the the worst, uh, most horrendous um, military conflict in the history of the world. At least it's in the top five, I suppose. On December the 16th, 1944, the Germans launched an aggressive counterattack to push back the Allied forces. And the first place they attacked was the town of St. Viff. And there in the town of St. Viff was the 472nd Regiment on the 106th Division of the 12th Army. That's where they landed first. And from December the 16th, To December the 23rd, it didn't look good at all. The whole 422nd Regiment was decimated. They were either killed or captured. I imagine those seven days felt like an eternity. But there was an eighth day and subsequent further days. 
And by the 23rd to 24th of December, the, the, the German advance had gone about as far as it was going to go. Within six months, Germany would surrender. The war would be over. Can you imagine as I'm reading the stories of these servicemen describing their, their experiences... It's just, it's overwhelming to, to, to try to imagine myself in their position. It's overwhelming to see how they were overwhelmed on those days by the enemy, by their enemy. And it didn't last. That's how God is with us. Whatever trouble that has risen around us, that has incited our hearts to cry out to the Lord for help, whatever it is. It doesn't have the power to last forever. It will leave. It itself will be decimated and destroyed at our loving Father's wise time of saying, that's it. No more. This is the God in whom we live and move and have our being. This is the God whom we can cry out to. This is the God who would say to us through the, other, through the psalmist elsewhere, Lord, your love is better than anything else in life. This is the God whom we get to turn to, not only to deliver us from our troubles, but the God whom we turn to to sustain us through and in our troubles. And we can do that because our God has covenanted to never leave us nor forsake us in our troubles because our God chose to forsake and abandon His own Son on the cross as a part of the just curse that should have come our way but he absorbed that abandonment for us and for our salvation. And for any and all who this morning are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a Father whom we can cry out to, and we have a Father who is ever near to sustain us. So, Father, we thank you for these realities. We're thankful for the goodness of your presence with us. We're thankful that we can approach your throne and stay in your presence because of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful, Father, that you will not uh, turn and, and run away from us, for you have abandoned your Son in our place. So, Father, sustain us with these beautiful truths that we've learned from your word this morning. Sustain us this day, this week, this month, this year. For we pray these things in Jesus' name.